legends and welcome to Unbeatable You, where we connect, thrive and conquer. I'm your host, Brett Robbo, and I'm super grateful for your valuable time. So let's just dive straight in. Keep thriving and enjoy. Talia O'Connor, brother, welcome to Unbeatable You. Thanks, my man. Thanks for having me. I'm super grateful to have you here on the show. And we met last night for the very first time. We've been connected for a while, but we met last night for the very first time over an epic, epic Mexican dinner. And it wasn't the Mexican food that was epic. It was the company. It was you, me, Nick Perry, and Jamin Heppel. How bloody awesome was that, Man, those discussions? Quality. It was, um, and I said in the in the chat thread afterwards, it was a perfect combination of depth and banter. It was. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was just quality. It, this, it reminded me, I couldn't get to sleep afterwards because I just kept, retracing the conversations and the the depth and the connection and the trust in that group really quickly. Whilst I've been connected to you for not even a year, Jamin for many years, Nick, first time ever connected. Mm. Um, but there's the first time I met you all in person and straight away it was that brotherhood. And it was, like you said, that real mix. And it just reminded me of I think you might have even said it last night, how values, when you connect with people mm-hmm. with aligned values, how you can get that deeper connection really quickly. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And um, and you would know this, being a man who likes to travel, you, you have those connections a lot when you travel, I find, because you might run into someone for one meal or one night or whatever and you're like, wow, that was a significant connection. Yet I might have mates back home that I've known for 10 years that I don't feel that level of depth with. So... Yeah, for me, it's definitely that values alignment piece, that authenticity. Um, yeah, I feel like you can create that depth. Everyone's waiting for someone to go first. And I think, I can't remember who shared something of maybe a little bit of vulnerability or a little bit of openness and what that kind of set the tone. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden we're all playing at that level and then the connection is just there. And you know what I loved about that last night? So we did, when we all first connected, we have a bit of a yarn, we're having a laugh, there's the banter, there's the just good quality conversations and then Jamin said, right, let's do a check-in, boys. Mm. And that check-in went for two hours. I think we spent 30 (laughs) minutes each checking in. And so it was so good where we were listening just intently to each other and that ability just holding space and it was just that awesome feeling where I felt like I actually uh, had been – doing a, a talking circle and and at the same time being fueled by genuine legends. It was yeah. bloody brilliant. And great tacos. <laughs> yeah, it was great. It was really good Mexican too. Yeah. We did put the pressure on Nick there yeah, to, to choose yeah. a great location. <laughs> I'm glad it worked out for him. <laughs> <laughs> so, mate, we, the reason we've been connected is because with the, the work that I do with uh, the men that I work with, I – and bringing in, I have brought in relationships as a pillar into the mm. work that I do because I don't believe that we can thrive as humans without thriving relationships. And I don't think it's fair for an individual to want to thrive without uh, focusing on the relationships. It's, it's It all coincides in my mind. And I reached out to Jamin and I said, I'm looking for a male relationship coach that can work with my tribe and I, which are mostly middle-aged Australian men, And I want him to be a genuine legend and have a similar outlook on the world as us and have had like done a lot of the deep inner work and and see the world in the way that we do and had the like similar kind of paradigms. And straight away, he didn't even think about it. He said, I know the man, I'll connect you straight away with Tully. And so you and I jumped on a call. We had a chat and we had a couple of chats and I just, I felt it straight away that, yep, this is, this feels right. Mm. 
So what is it, why is it actually that you, you work, you do men's work, you do epic retreats and workshops and you also do relationship coaching and you and your partner are doing a lot more of that cat now, are doing a lot more of the relationship coaching together. Why this type of work? Why relationship mm. coaching and, and men's work? Yeah, well, the relationship coaching came first for me. I got into men's work after that. So the why, there's, I guess, a personal and a professional inroad to it for me. The personal one, my parents got divorced when I was 17. So the day I finished high school, came home, they got divorced. And that um, that was a real, not wake-up call, it was a paradigm-shifting experience for me. Because before that, it was just like, get good grades, go to uni, build a family, just follow the path. And then I was kind of like, why am I allowed to curse on here? Fuck <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> why the fuck build it all if your family's just going to fall apart, if your relationship's just going to fall apart? And so I just started asking these questions. And it had me just look around and reflect. None of my mates in high school, if their parents were together, there was maybe one out of 10 relationships that I was modeled that I was like, oh, yeah, that's close to something I would want. It was either divorced or not that stoked. Mm. And I was like, how are we missing this piece of the puzzle? And where do I go? I'm like, okay, cool. I want to focus on this. Where do I go? There was nowhere to go. So that was my um, – and, and to be honest, at the time I didn't realize that. At a 17-year-old I wasn't like, okay, how can I build the steps to craft a beautiful relationship? It was just – in retrospect, looking back, I'm like, ah, that's really when it started for me. Um, and then professionally, I went to uni, studied physiotherapy, started working in private practice. And what you shared before about why you brought relationships in as a pillar, because I saw professionally that I always took a really holistic view to health and um, how I looked after my, my patients and what I started to see both anecdotally and in the research, that the quality of our connections impacts our ability to heal, impacts our ability to be healthy, impacts our length and our quality of life more so than anything else. Mm. Like one of the longest longitudinal studies ever done, that was the biggest determining factor. wasn't nutrition. Nutrition is important, but it wasn't the most important. What was the most important? The quality of our human connection. And uh, the quality of the connection, the mm-hmm. human connection. Yeah, and so that's primary relationship but also close friendships. As well, and so what was the study about the the quality of life or the length yeah? Of so life? they followed a group um, of I think it was Harvard students, um, and they followed them for and yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll mess up the the minor details, but at least fifty years, and oh. they basically checked in every few years, what's health like, what's this like, and so they could reflect and be like, okay. Or this group, you know, they ate really poorly. This group, and but what they found was the quality of connections. They're the people that live longest and reported the highest quality of life. Mm. They had the highest quality of connection again, primary relationship and friendships. It's a common thread with the blue zones too, right? So that's a completely community. different thing. What you were talking about, but community yep. is a huge part of longevity and quality of life mm-hmm. through the length of life. Yep, yep, yep. So. Yeah, so I saw that and so I was very much early on in my physio career, I kind of knew it wasn't going to be my everything. I was much more interested in the mental, emotional aspects of well-being, and I wasn't going to go back and study psychology for five years and then do a master's in that. So I, I stumbled into personal development, mindset work, 
all of that and I felt the impacts in my own life and I was like, wow, this stuff has got some legs to it. But I, it fell short when it came to relationships, like the emotional health, the emotional agility. I've, I've heard you use that word a couple of times. I love that concept. Um, that, was, that was kind of missing. And so I, I basically just followed the lily pads, so to speak, you know, um, my curiosities and that led me down due to relationship breakdown, led me to a two-day tantra retreat, which I didn't know was a tantra retreat. I just had committed to it. The relationship was on the rocks. My partner was going to it, partner at the time. Um, and I was like, I'm pretty open. I was like, fuck it. Let's just go and see what it's all about. Um, and that fundamentally shifted everything for me. That was the first time I tapped into anger. Before that, I was, you know, my friends called me Switzerland because I was just the middle ground. Do you know what I mean? Nice guy. I could see both sides of the story. And turns out I had a lot of suppressed anger that was behind that nice guy mask. And it was the first time I tapped into a lot of that shadow work. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and that really shifted how I showed up in relationship. And so my my personal journey and my professional journey were kind of, you know, left foot, right foot mirroring each other. And before I knew it, I was coaching people <laughs> and supporting people. Like that wasn't my intention. I didn't even know coaching was a thing back then. This is nine years ago, right, Where I, when I started all of this. Um, I just did the work out of deep curiosity and commitment to excellence is one of my highest values. We were talking about that just, just before as well. And by nature of it, people just started asking me questions. And, and then, yeah, it just kind of flowed from there. You talked before about your the model of relationships that you had in front of you. So your parents were divorced at 17. My parents divorced when I was three, but they stayed really good friends. Mm. And so I never saw love between them. So I, my model of loving relationships came from my grandparents. They were happily married for 53 years and they expressed love and they were amazing. So they loved each other and the love came outwardly. How much of the relationship work that you do is there patterns in, and specifically the guys, because you and I do a lot of work with men, but it's obviously corresponds into the, the women as well. How much of the challenges in relationships are from the modelling of what those guys have been exposed to over time? I would say all of it. Okay, <laughs> interesting. Yeah, I wouldn't say all of it because there's no absolutes, um, but a lot, a lot, yeah, because that's – especially in those formative years, that's where we're forming our blueprint of the world. That's where we're learning what left is, what right is, what up is, what down is, what intimacy is, what relationships are, like our stories, beliefs that we have about men, about women, about relationship, about conflict, about communication, about intimacy, about sex. All of those things are forming, especially in those uh, sort of zero to seven and then older than that as well. Um, But that's where our nervous system is also being wired, so to speak. Mm. So, cause we can think, oh, yep. Um, I have this certain view about relationship, but when it's crunch time, how do you show up? What, what, cause a lot of relationship, uh, conflict comes in those moments of reactivity. And when we're under stress, I think it was Wayne Dyer that said, when you squeeze an orange, only orange juice can come out. Mm. When we're under pressure, what's there will reveal itself. Mm. And 
that's when our deepest patterning will show up. And that's why you see a lot of people, it's like happy days and then we have kids. And then the relationship breakdown, the stats around relationship breakdown after having kids in that first three years is monumental because of that extra stress and that conditioning that comes through. And so I would... Sorry, sorry, I'm just going to interject there and say I can completely understand that because I've got a two-year-old and almost four-year-old and the amount of connection time that is not available anymore and then all of the extra pressures but also then for me, I, I was talking about this last night at dinner, I crave and I thrive on so I'm not desperate for, but I crave and I thrive on love and affection. Mm-hmm. And I didn't realise until that wasn't coming to me as much when it was divided between the kids how much I crave it because then it wasn't I wasn't able to get it from my wife as often because mother instincts and so she should. She shares it more with the kids and then it's not like, oh, whatever's left over because she loves like love and connection. We have a really beautiful relationship. But it made me realise, oh, shit. Was I relying on that? Like I started to question myself yeah. and what what is it that is – what is missing? Is there lack now? So it really made mm. me check myself and the relationship as a whole but just realising I guess it's kind of my love language and then accepting and really bringing that um, whole piece of the puzzle as a family and that dynamic and realising that I actually feel her love and connection for the kids through that mm-hmm. just as much as the direct um, mm-hmm. affection that we have together. Yeah, and imagine if you didn't have the awareness that you did be able to, whoa, check myself and reflect and be like, whoa, what's going on here? Mm. Imagine the resentment that would build up. Yeah, I can right? completely understand and that. Then so, and you just you see it time and time again and it's so common even if um, that isn't a man's highest um, priority or love language, so to speak, it's it's a human need, Yeah, that touch, that intimacy, that connection, right? And what happens as men is we – learn to outsource that, right? We don't have that sort of connection with ourselves, Mm. that sort of intimacy with ourselves. We don't have it with other men. You know, I'm talking generally. Generally, yeah. Do you know what I mean? There's like a lot of homophobia in our culture, especially growing up as teenagers. So there's no closeness, there's no connection, there's no touch. And again, this is a cultural thing. This isn't a human thing. There are some cultures where there's lots of touch between men that's purely platonic. So if, if the only place we're getting that touch, that connection, that affection, that nurturing is our relationship and then all of a sudden all of that nurturing is now funneled into this little human that needs it way more than we do, mm. right? What happens then? We're pretty fucked. So it, we're relying on it. Yep. Mm. And so, yeah, I call parent, like <laughs> I say parenting or, or stepping into parenthood is a cure for codependency. Yeah. <laughs> And any codependent tendencies we have in our relationship will be brought up to the surface to look at. And it can be confronting because we don't want to admit it. Like you said, it's like, well, I'm not, you know, desperate for it, but hey, I really thrive on it. And Mm. most men can't even admit that. Hey, I I really want some touch. Mm. Hey, I really want a cuddle. Hey, I really want some affection. And yeah, we, we need it. And if we don't get that level of presence and connection from ourselves or anywhere else, that burden is on our partner and that's something that they stepping into motherhood cannot, they can't carry us and a child, right? Mm. And so that's where I find it can be a real spark of initiation into this sort of self-reflection. It's either relationships going to break down or the men, we've got to wake up and have some honest conversations with ourselves and get support and look at all this stuff and start to unpack it. 
what can we look at? So let's say that uh, in, in a family dynamic, whether you've got a baby or a young toddler like mm-hmm. yourself uh, and myself or whether the guys listening have grown-up kids mm-hmm. and whatever capacity we're busy humans yeah. and so there's businesses to run or work to be done, there's family dynamics, uh, there's, you know, all the house kind of work and then – people then think if there's time for the relationship, then maybe we'll have a bit of time together. Mm. So when we look at those kind of dynamics and you see everything play out, what what do you believe? What are kind of the, a few of the core areas we need to focus on or a few of the pillars that you focus on with your coaching to create what I would call an unbeatable relationship? And that's not perfect and that doesn't come. <laughs> unbeatable doesn't mean there isn't arguments. Unbeatable yeah. doesn't mean that everything is smooth sailing. Unbeatable relationship certainly doesn't mean that your kids don't muck up on you. It just means that you have some tools and strategies or mm-hmm. focus pillars in place to actually still have connection amongst the chaos. Mm-hmm. Yeah, beautiful. And I love that you put that right on the table because a lot of the time, even if we don't acknowledge it, we're unconsciously looking for something. We will have a projection of what we think maybe your friend's relationship is like or what the ideal relationship is like or even worse, Hollywood, right? And so we've got this fantasy we've made up and then we have – our relationship and we conflate the two and then we make comparisons and judgments there. So we're just in fantasy land making ourselves feel shit about our relationship. Mm. So grounding it in what a relationship actually looks like and normalising conflict, normalising disconnect, especially if you've got kids in a busy life, et cetera. So that's the first thing, normalise that. And then the second thing would be for me, it's depending on where you're at right? If you're at a tension point, if there's lots of conflict, if you're struggling, if there's a lot of disconnect, for, depending on the current level of communication, if, if you have the ability to communicate that and bring that up in the relationship, make time to do that. Some people, it's too, there's too much tension. Every time you try to do that, it ends up in another fight or something like that. And if, that, if you're at that point, you need support. And that support might look like having a mate to chat with where you can just share honestly, I'm struggling, this is stuck, this is tough, whatever it may be. Might look like a coach, might look like a therapist, whatever. Having a space, even just as individuals, to go outside of the relationship is just vital because, again, that's not normalized. So then we were talking about the burdens we placed on our partner before. We're also expecting them to be our fucking therapist and our, and our everything. Right? And if we, we need these outlets and our relationship isn't supposed to be all of them. Mm. And so if you don't have it, prioritize the cultivation of it. And that can look like, like for me, I've always got at, like friends now that I have friends like yourself, you know, that are coaches that, do, that I've got amazing sounding boards. But before that, it was a coach or, or, or investing in that because I understand that it's not just normal, it's necessary. If you want to have an unbeatable relationship, if you want to thrive, we need support, right? Mm. And so there's deeper stuff that feeds into the unwillingness to reach out for help because if I reach out for help about my relationship, that means I'm a failure. Yeah, yeah. right. So that's the mentality yeah, that blocks yeah. people from actually doing that. Yeah, exactly. It's like the lone wolf, just that that myth runs real deep. And, it, and in, unless we look at that, because, and again, this is the, before I get into like tools and tips, I like to like zoom out. It's yeah, like, what probably. are the fundamental underlying beliefs that I have about myself that are contributing to this? 
And a huge one for men is that I need to be I need to be the man that can do it all, especially high performing mm. men, right? Yes. It's like I need to be able to do it on my own. Feel and guilty or feel shame if I can't do it all on my own. Yeah. If I need help in my relationship, yeah. what does that people are going to think I need help everywhere? There's something wrong with me. I'm broken. It needs to be fixed. So they're all the stories that we might be telling ourselves mm-hmm. that, that stop us from actually doing, having those conversations and seeking the support that is actually going to help. Mm-hmm in the areas that we really desire. And just on that too, that's why I found last night really it was like a therapy session too, just <laughs> sitting and listening to you guys talk and especially the other dads in the group like yourself and then your relationship aspect like, oh, cool. So the guys who do the work and coaching relationships, they still have relationship challenges and that's how they work through them. Cool. And like it aligns with my belief and philosophy that we're never immune to it. Mm-hmm. <sighs> yeah, And it just normalized things. And I guarantee – before that, there might have been stuff ticking over in your mind that, that were some challenges, right? Some challenges with self, maybe in the relationship, some things that there, I guarantee after that conversation, they were either gone or at least l- the charge on them was lessened. Yeah, lessened charge. And we didn't even Absolutely. speak about the problems. We didn't talk about tools to solve the problems. We didn't, we always want to go to how do I fix this thing? Mm. And often the problem isn't the problem. If we can just relax around it and by by hearing other men share that allows us to relax. A lot of the time the stuff just dissolves Mm. and I'm sure you see it in your group programs and this is why I do very little one-on-one work now and all group work because one man comes to the table with a problem. I'm having this, me and my wife haven't had sex for a few months, got young kids and I'm like, I'm really struggling. Pause, ask the group, who else has had this issue? Every single hand goes up. Oh, Okay, that man, yeah, he doesn't feel shame around it. He doesn't feel, he's almost doesn't have the resistance to it. And he can walk away from that. Even if we give him no tools Mm. to do anything about it, that will be less of an issue now. Mm. And so I find normalizing the struggle while still uh, owning what we want to create. We don't want to just like normalize it and sit in it. Mm. It's like we still want to move towards where we want to be. But so much of it, again, especially for high-performing men, so much of our drive comes from a resistance to some sort of pain. So we might have the awareness like, oh, okay, um, this isn't going well in my relationship. I don't want to feel the pain that's associated with this. And this might be all unconscious, obviously. So tell me what to do. Give me an action. Mm. I'm an action taker. I can fix, I can get the job done. Just tell me what to do and I'll do it. Simple. So we're bypassing one of the important steps. We've got the awareness of the problem, but we don't have any acceptance Mm. of the problem. There's no compassion for myself or for my partner. I've got awareness of the problem and I want to go straight to fixing it. Mm. And that will lend you on a merry-go-round of never-ending suffering. (laughs) And that acceptance piece requires slowing down. Right, requires like feeling it. Fair enough. I'm struggling. Fair enough. Yeah, because most guys, yeah, there's some sort of pain or not good enoughness that is fueling a lot of our achievements. Mm. Right, and the same can show up in in the relationship space. So we've got normalizing it, the support. What is a? Do we cover something else there? No, those were the first two. Okay. So then that's before. And then it depends on like the support piece. This is where it gets different for everybody, right? It's checking in with like getting clarity on the issue because we might think the issue is I'm not having enough sex. 
And then it's like, well, actually, what does having sex provide you? Elaborate on that a little bit. So, for example, we we might think sex is a release for us or whatever, but really, actually, sex brings a certain level of connection mm. to us. So, what we really want is connection, and how we get that is through having sex. Sure. Yep. Right. And so, the thing might be sex. The thing might be going to the gym. The thing might be. Um, having a few beers with the guys. It's like what I really want is to feel relaxed and de-stressed. Mm. Having a few beers with the guys is my strategy to do that. Sure. Right? And so sex and, and can fall into that in relationship. And I, I use that as an example because going back to the intimacy piece we were talking about before, a lot of the time that's what guys are craving and they don't realize it. Mm. And that's when often they get that. Okay, after we've had sex, then we've, we're in that space of feeling more connected mm-hmm. a lot of the time. So it's like... What's the actual crux of what I'm needing? Mm. What needs do I have that aren't being fulfilled that is causing this tension, resentment, resistance? Because mm. again, the lone wolf that can do it all doesn't want to admit that he's got needs. And you're going to meet those needs in some sort of way, right? Correct. Yeah. So that mean like that connection and that stress release, like you said, if I'm not getting it with sex with my partner that I'm craving, then I'll go to the pub with the boys and get it there. And so therefore it's met and then you're not, resolving the underlying issue mm-hmm. around why isn't that deeper connection there that leads to not just wanting to have sex mm-hmm. but being connected and sex is kind of a byproduct of that deeper connection. Yeah, 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 exactly. And so just bringing a level of curiosity to that. And obviously if I'm working with someone, then that's when we dive in. And once you dive into that, then deeper patterns start to emerge and that's when you get into the thick of doing some of the, the deeper work. But initially, just bring some curiosity to it because so much of it is often laced in judgment. When you say it, are you talking about the relationship? Now? Yeah, the, the issue when you, the, the preface for this was like, okay, there's some challenges. Mm. How do we start looking at it? First, normalize the challenge. Second, get support. Then bring curiosity to it. Mm. And, and that I find is a really easy one because once we're, we've got the awareness, we can we can get curious. And rather than being like, this is how it is, be like, hmm, this is interesting. We've circled back to the same argument 15 times. Isn't that interesting? Mm. I wonder what's going on here. I wonder what's going on for her. I wonder why I'm so triggered when she says this or does this and just bring some curiosity to it. That Because we can't be judgmental and curious at the same time. I was going to ask if we're not curious, what are we? So we're judgmental. Judgment, yeah. Yeah, gotcha. So yeah. that's why curiosity is very important in a relationship. Yeah, it's to me it's it's the pivot point. It's the pivot point because we're when we're in judgment, often we're in the stress response. Our survival brain is active, so we're looking for threats, we're looking for negativity, and this is all happening like neurologically. Yes. And it's very hard to get out of that. There are ways out of that. Breath, movement, set like all of the stuff mm-hmm. that you do, this is where the vitality piece comes in. Because if I'm in a stressed state, I can only think stressed thoughts. Mm. And I'm not going to think myself out of. You can't think yourself out of those thought patterns. And so recognizing that, having self-awareness of the state that I'm in will inform the story that I'm telling, right? Because if I'm just had an argument with my partner and I, I leave the house, I'll be thinking certain things, this and that, and this is what happened and da, 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 da. I go for a run, 30 minutes, come back, I will be thinking different thoughts. What changed? Nothing about the argument with my partner changed. Mm. Nothing about them changed. I just went for a run and I was in a different state. Mm. And so changing our physiology that way but also curiosity can also um, 
start to form those new patterns as well. I talk about change your state and then operate. Yeah, love it. And so on the curiosity piece, and I, I talk a lot about radical responsibility. How does curiosity and radical responsibility tie in uh, in, in the relationship piece? Yeah, beautiful. So I feel like it's hard to take radical responsibility without a certain level of curiosity because if we're, if we're in judgment, we're just projecting and, and we could say a million things about how they're not showing up and we could probably say one thing about how we're not showing up. Mm. Whereas when we become a little bit more curious, then we've got the space to take responsibility. And and this is hard. Like I don't want to for a second say that it's simple but it's not easy. Yeah. When you're in it and, and, and I've been doing this work for years and it is still hard, right, and I still mess it up at least half the time. Right. So thank you for normalizing. Yeah. It's just, it's, I can never in the history of wanting someone to change has trying to change them ever worked. What works to change them? We can only change ourselves. And even then that's hard. Like who do we think we are to think that we can change somebody else? Like it's just, it's so, far from the reality and when we're in that survival brain, that fear, often that's what we want to try and do because we want to try and control because that control will create some safety. Mm. Yeah, whereas taking that radical responsibility after we've got curious, it's like what can I do here? How can I? And this requires that support piece. This is really hard to just do on your own as well. Like I'll, I will, and again, I've been doing this for years and years and years. I've been teaching it for years and I still need support someone to be like, you're probably missing this. Yeah, brilliant. You're projecting a little bit there, man. And I'm like, oh, yeah, you're right. I am. That hurts, but Damn, it's the truth. Thank you. <laughs> thank you and fuck you. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, that radical responsibility. And I just want to speak to sometimes there's a resistance to taking responsibility. I would be- say a lot of the time. A lot. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. A lot of the time. Sometimes, and sorry, I'm going to put my hand up and say I'm guilty of that as well. Yep. Yeah. Yep. From the stress state. From the stress state, because especially if if you're not a people pleaser, but there can be this fear. Well, what if I just keep taking responsibility and they don't? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hear that often. I, Please elaborate on that. Yeah. So, like, okay, I get it. I'm supposed. How long am I supposed to take responsibility? Can I take all the responsibility? And my answer to that is I'm not saying it's the right thing to do. Like you, you, you do what you want to do. All I'm saying is it's actually the only thing you can do. We cannot take responsibility for, for somebody else, right? We can only take responsibility. We can think we are and we can maybe in the short term um, but, but not in the long term. And so this is where for me there, there's always something for me. And I had this this year, right? So the beginning of this year, I've got a just over two and a half year old. And then earlier this year, we moved over east. Bit of a stressful time. Last year, you mean? Last year, yeah. Sorry, yeah, yeah. Last year. Welcome to 2023, yeah, thanks, my man. man. <laughs> still, I'm still slowly <laughs> sliding into it. Um, and it was a really challenging period. And me and Kat have a very solid foundation in our relationship. We've been, worked through a lot. And still having a child, right? And, and the way we choose to raise our child 
um, we co-sleep. And so we, I work from home. So we, over the course of 18 months or more, we'd had maybe twice where we'd had more than three hours to ourselves. Over an 18 month period. Yep. Mm. And because we've got such a solid relationship and we just love our family, like, you know, we still were intimate and all of these things. But it get, got to the point where I was like, oh, wow, I'm, I need more. Mm. And that was a hard thing for me to say because, like, is that me being selfish, da-da-da-da-da, mm. all that stuff comes up. But I got to that point where I was like, wow, I don't, I'm not excited about having a second child. And that to me is a, a red light. I'm like, oh, wow, okay, this needs looking at. And in the past, Kat and I have done so much of this work together. Like we've dived deep together mm. in retreat spaces and workshops, but just helping each other process. Um, and she did not have the capacity to do that. She was a mum. She was tired. She just didn't have the space, um, you know, matrescence. Like what happens when women go from maiden to mother? It's like their whole system changes on such a way that we'll never be able to comprehend mm-hmm. as a guy. And so I was waiting until we could do that together like we'd always done. Sure. And what taking responsibility for me looked like, oh, wow, this is just on me. Mm. This is my stuff. This is my upset. This is my projection. I'm going to go to work on that myself. And so I got to work and had other people hold space for me. Like I wanted Kat to hold space for me. Yeah. Right? Because that's what we'd done and that felt nice and I like to be witnessed and all of that. And I just took it all on and almost as a thought experiment. I'm like, what if I just ask nothing of her and see what happens? Understanding the law of reciprocity, right? <laughs> like this is on the premise that we're in a really healthy relationship. Mm. Like so if you're in maybe an abusive relationship or, or not a healthy relationship dynamic, sometimes you, it's, you do need to stop and not just keep taking all the responsibility and, and being taken advantage of, mm. right? So that's the frame. I knew I wasn't even close to that and so I just took – it on and and did the work even though there was huge resistance the stories they're like well what if she's going to do she's not working on this she's not like why should I have to be the one to come to the table with her all those stories were playing and I just needed support to move through them and there was so much there for me the amount of stuff I was projecting the amount of stuff I hadn't felt or expressed and then was was bringing to the table there was so much for me to do and after doing it guess what our relationship, we've just been thriving since. Mm. And she has shifted in her own way, but sometimes there can be uh, an attachment to how it needs to look for them. And so do you feel like you want to have a second child now? Because you yeah. said that before you were sitting in that. Yeah, know, yeah. And Very that's just, so. you know, it goes to show where our mind can go and take those kind of things and your awareness of that to go, oh, hang on, I haven't thought that before, I haven't felt that before, rather than thinking, oh my God, I'm never going to have a second child, this relationship's on edge, it's all downhill from here. You just take that that responsibility and curiosity together and say, why is that raising? What's going on? What have I missed? Yeah. Where am I responsible in this? And, yeah. And then choosing to do the work from there. Yeah. And that's that curiosity piece. Like as soon as those thoughts pop up, bring curiosity to them. Don't try to – and even thoughts like that would flash up would be around, I wonder what co-parenting would look like. Mm. You know, what if this doesn't work out? Well, that feels a bit easier. Doesn't that feel like – and so I had those thoughts. And so initially I was like, what the f- – mm. <laughs> like, whoa, that's really gnarly. But it's oh, just a thought. Yeah, I love that. Right? It's just a thought and, and it's – I guarantee <laughs> – 
you know, I haven't done the research, but if I did, the amount of first-time parents and the first 18 months of parenthood who had the thought of co-parenting, <laughs> I'd say it'd be a fairly high percentage. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And we were speaking to this last night around even with our kids, some thoughts that we have when they're teen off and it's hard and you're capped out. You have some thoughts that are pretty scary, mm. right? And so not believing, not yep. thinking we're right about those thoughts and that's where the curiosity piece is a real lifesaver. Mm, brilliant. I love that. And once again, it comes back to the vitality piece of when you're in a more optimal state, then you are less likely to be triggered into those thoughts. And even if you are, once again, they're just thoughts. So coming back really that deeper understanding of self and groundedness and trust mm-hmm. uh, in yourself and in the relationship. Mm-hmm. We're talking a lot about normalizing it, support, curiosity, and, and it all sounds amazing. And like you said, it's simple, but it's not easy. What do you say to the women who are listening to this and they say, yeah, that all sounds good, Tully, but my man would, wouldn't go ahead with that. My man wouldn't come into curiosity. My man wouldn't have those discussions. My man wouldn't approach me or other people in that way. Yeah, um, beautiful. This is probably the most asked question I get in my DMs on Instagram okay. is women. From the women, yeah. yeah, okay. How do I get my man to do the work? How do I? And the all I have is what we've already spoken about take responsibility so the more so you're asking the, the women the women to take yep. the responsibility yeah yep. and and not overly but it's it's always the case where there's something they there's st- something there for them right and often this is a generalization but women have maybe done more self-exploration work they're more curious or just naturally they're more eno- emotionally intelligent they're more aware of what's happening in their, mm. their system so there can be this um I'm more aware than he is, right? And often awareness without action doesn't actually – to know and not do is to not yet know. So you might – Say that a bit slower. To know and not do is to not yet know. Okay. Yeah, so we can know lots of things and we can have an awareness. But I I said there's there's so much that they can do with their own system, with their own childhood stuff, with their own patterning, with their own – that will shift how they are received. Because I see it a lot. Uh, one partner will go and do a lot of work, have all this awareness and be like, oh, okay, I want my partner to do it too. Mm. And if you embody that work to a way, in, to a point that they feel the difference, they're like, oh, wow, they're not reacting like they used to. They're happier than they used to be. They're, that will evoke the kind of curiosity that will have them step forward. Whereas more often than not, it comes from, hey, I've done it now, you need to do it too. Mm. Let me tell you about all your problems yes. that you need to fix. And it's like, it's just, it doesn't evoke any openness to it, right? Mm. And so that's the first part. And then the other part is just uh, coming at it from an abundance, not a lack, not a fear. Often it can come from a place of fear, which, which is, is valid. genuine. Like, because they can sense, right? Women are incredible. They're like, wow, if nothing shifts, this relationship's probably on the out. Might be five years from now that it's on the out, or three years from now, but it's like things need to shift and I can feel that and that's scary. And then what, what state are they in? Mm. They're in the stress response, right? And so that's how they're coming to it and then that's what gets received from the guides. And then it comes as a, you're not good enough, <laughs> You need to do something. You need to go and learn from another man how to be a partner. Yes. It's like that. It's, no way. 
Mm, no, they're not going to listen to nah, that. They're nah, Defensive. Yeah. And so it's a combination of not mollycoddling molly the guy as well because it's like, okay, they need to pull their fucking head in mm. and understand that shit needs to change. And you can communicate it in a way that uh, from desire rather from lack. Like I love you and, mm. you know, not, not dissimilar to how we need to communicate with our children. Yes. Yep. And this isn't uh, – this goes both ways in the relationship, right? This isn't just for the men how they can communicate with the silly um, – the women communicate with the silly men who aren't on the same page. The same goes like I need to say that um, if Kat's really triggered, I need to reassure her, hey, I love you and mm. I love you. I'm not going anywhere so we don't need to go panic stations and we've got shit to work through. So it's coming from that space, whereas if it's just coming from I'm unhappy and you're not good enough mm. and you need to change so that you Blame. can be good enough and I can be happy, then even if that's not how it's intended, often it will be how it will be received. received yeah. And so just carrying an awareness around that can really help them as well. So a big part of what you're saying without actually saying it is crystal clear communication. Yeah, yeah. And from that place of love and not lack, that's that's awesome. Yeah, and and on that, because sometimes <laughs> th- this used to be that used to be my complete view on it, right? And over the last eighteen months, my view has shifted because sometimes men need a slap around the head. Sometimes they need. I've had guys step into programs with me because it was a pure ultimatum. Mm. It was like do something or we're done. It's done. We've tried and tried and tried. Do something or we're done. Mm-hmm. You can choose what you want to do. Here's an option, but so sometimes it, it can get to yeah, that point. Yeah, and, and like I wouldn't necessarily approach it like like I, I spoke about all the openness of communication. And I've just this is through pure experience. I've just seen guys step into my space through that avenue, mm. and everything has changed for them. That's what they needed. They're busy at work, da da da, and then they're like, "Oh wow, this is mm. serious." Okay, I'll do this course that you want me to do and then they step in and they're like, oh, wow, this is not what I thought it was. And mm. The game changes. So sometimes that's the case. That's not a good first option. <laughs> yeah, okay. Right? Yeah. That's not a good first option. But sometimes it's, it's yeah, I always just want to share that as well, right? There's always two sides to the coin. But initially there's so much that can be done before you get to that point. And – that question was secretly targeted at the men listening as well. So for the men listening <laughs> gotcha, to that, yeah. <laughs> I hope you didn't tune out when I said for the ladies yeah, listening yeah, because yeah. I think even in my reflection allows me to understand and look at my relationship a little bit differently and my curiosity where I can improve in that and where I can take more responsibility and where I believe that uh, things are going great or – even the conflict that might be rising in and I spoke about last night, we had really challenging last quarter last mm. year and there was tension points that rose in the relationship, tension points that we never experienced before, arguments that were just pity that we've never had before, all coming from major stress mm-hmm. and our, our opportunity in the evening was that checking in, babe, I still love you so much. I'm sorry that, you know, I said that or sorry that my energy was really shit today. It wasn't mm. about you. It wasn't about the relationship. It was literally about me trying to cope with this stress. Yeah. We're all good. Like we'd both check in at that level and then still moving through a lot of the, the external pressure that was out of our control. Mm. But for, for the guys listening who might be experiencing this relationship drag mm. and they want to do something, but they're like, yeah, but I just, like I, I 
I'm not that type of person. Like I'm not that type of person to initiate that conversation or to reach out for support. Yeah. How do they overcome that story? Um, understand that they're choosing the story. I'm not that type of person is an interesting sentence because that type of per- – the type of person that you're not is the type of person that has a really healthy relationship because I'm not that type of person that would initiate this conversation or that would get support or that would get a co. I'm not that type of person. Then what type of person are you? Mm. The type of person that prioritizes work over their family mm. or work over their relationship? Are you the type of person that ignores it? It's like just getting really honest with like what story am I believing about myself? And maybe I've been that person up until now, but who do I want to be? Right? And and choosing that and being willing to just move through your own bullshit, to be honest. It's like and I've just done enough work with enough men now. I get on a call with someone who's thinking about the program or oh, I'm a bit sceptical. Like, you know, I haven't done anything. This stuff's not really for me. It's a bit expensive. I don't really have the time. And I've heard every excuse from every man like hundreds of times now. And so I'm like, if you're listening to this and those are popping up for you, you're not special with those excuses and be willing to lean into it and just you don't have to jump off the bridge have a chat like find someone like robbo or or somebody that you trust even you there'll be somebody in your circle that's seen a counselor that was good that's worked with a coach that was good that was just have a conversation well there's lots of men's groups out there now where you come you can find those environments to help normalize those kind of things by just even actively listening in on the conversation Mm mm-hmm yeah, and even a men's group can be like, well, if somebody's never done that before, it feels so normal for me and I'm sure for you as well, but that can be really, really confronting. Yeah, absolutely. But what every guy can do is have a conversation with another human and just let that be what you're contemplating mm. because often we make the mountain out of the molehill. We think, okay, well, I don't want to do this coaching pro- or whatever. We think it's going to look a certain way and that's what we're like scared about or – I'm scared about diving into that conversation with my partner. Well, don't have that one with him yet, but have a conversation, Mm. right? And just understand what the actual next step is. And it might be just messaging someone on sending someone an Mm. email being like, Hey, I've I've been following your work or whatever. And like just whatever that first step actually is and make your decision-making process around that. We can get in the, the world of like, yeah, the mind likes to follow the fear of, of where it might be and what it might look like and, and all of that and often that's never the case. So come back to the reality of what would be the next step mm. and all of a sudden that seems much more manageable. Yeah, the one next step. I always talk about that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So shifting gears to the men a little bit more, with all the work that you've done with men specifically, what are the most common challenges that present themselves with guys with us blokes that kind of prevent us from living the life that we truly desire and deserve and and living Mm. our kind of unbeatable life and i'm talking about health relationships spirituality connection with our family everything yeah you know is are those challenges do they manifest externally over time are they commonalities of you know addictions or um, guilt and, and shame. What, what do you mm-hmm. find is kind of the most common challenges that yeah. guys present with? It's to put a broad umbrella, it's a lack of awareness of the human operating system, right? So it's a lack of awareness of 
how and why you actually operate the way that you do. And going a little bit deeper with that is we form behaviours that become our personality, that we think who we are. I'm not just that type of guy. We have this map of who we are. I have this map of who Tully is. But what we don't understand is those behaviours that become personality traits all stem from our childhood and a lot of them stem from coping strategies, survival strategies for how I'm going to receive love and affection and acknowledgement and safety. Because we as humans are always seeking and it's one of our or multiple core needs, right? Love, yeah. safety, connection. Well, and it just comes back to survival. Mm. Like if we don't receive nurturing from mum, we die. Right, if we don't, if our prime, humans are so useless for so long, you know, animals in the wild get capable within maybe a few months or whatever. We're so useless for so long, for you so know, many it's years. It's funny, I've never heard anyone say that, but that was my thoughts when I had a baby. There was so much love and I'm like, why does it take them so long to develop? Look at the, yeah. the kangaroo yeah. out there hopping around the next day and things like yeah. that. <laughs> We're yeah. such evolved beings, but it takes us so long. Yeah, and I think um, evolutionarily, because our brains are so much bigger relative to our body, we we need to be birthed at that point. So our physical structure hasn't developed. You know mm. what I mean? Lots of animals come out and they're walking around, whereas our, we need – yeah, anyway, that's another, <laughs> another story. I'll get David but Attenborough yeah, on to yeah, chat yeah, through yeah. that one. Um, but like the point is, yeah, we, we come out with needing that, that nurturing, that acknowledgement because that is safety. That's like, okay, am I safe here? That's what our brain, our brilliant brain is scanning, am I safe? Mm. How is like, am I safe? And even if we have the most loving, well-meaning parents, we are not going to receive the nurturing and the acknowledgement that we actually need, mm-hmm. right? Because they're carrying their own stuff. So even if they're trying their hardest, if they don't feel safe in their nervous system, if they're highly anxious, we absorb that, right? And so working off the premise that we're not going to receive it to the extent that we need, when we don't receive it, that results in some sort of tension or pain and then the baby cries or whatever, yep. And so if we live with that tension or pain long enough, we start to create a story as to why that pain is there or that why I'm not getting it because all tension seeks resolution. So because if I'm lovable and enough just the way I am and I'm not receiving that nurturing and acknowledgement, that doesn't make sense in my system and that tension or pain will never go away. Whereas if I have the story that I'm not good enough, mm. then it makes sense. It sucks, but it makes sense in my system. So it's almost like it gets equalized. But then those stories become beliefs. And this is all happening unconsciously, right? So we don't realize we're doing this, but this becomes the map of the world. I'm not good enough the way I am. And if that's the case, who do I need to be or what do I need to do to receive that love, mm. that acknowledgement. Because you will meet those needs you somewhere. You need to, yeah. And that might look like being the nice guy and just caretaking. That might be hypervigilant and I, I know what everybody in the room's feeling and therefore I can react accordingly and that's what keeps me safe. Mm. Maybe I turn into the bully and just control everything. Right? Maybe I just succeed. That was mine. I'm like, I'm just going to dominate sport and school. <laughs> and then that is what helps me receive the love and, and the acknowledgement. That I, that I want, that my older brother didn't get, right? So the, going back to the original question is this is all happening under the hood yet you can still be a highly successful CEO and this is all happening under the hood, mm. right? So 
until we can start to look at what's driving it. Because essentially we're, we're, we are operating from a stressed nervous system state. You could say we're operating from our, our traumas essentially. But you can be highly successful in this society and still be functioning fully from a stressed nervous system state and your traumas, right? And you Give can me be, an example of that. Well of a of a of a male figure example. Not yeah. of, of someone specifically, but how would that play out? So you look at it through the fight, flight, freeze, and appease response. So most people have heard of fight, flight, freeze. Then there's appease, which is kind of like um, I'm gonna get safety through connection. Right. So I'm not gonna fight you. I'm not going to run away. I'm not going to completely shut down. But if I'm just like connected, then that's safety. So Mm. those are kind of the four options we go to. So how the fight, the fight can manifest is by drive and determination. Mm. I'm just going to do what needs to be done to succeed. So it gets rewarded in our society, but where it falls down is when it comes to relationships. Because none of those four things, if we're operating from any of those four things, we can't have thriving relationships because we're in that stress response and that's not where connection lives. So we can be the skills and way of being that can have us be successful in work often don't translate to being successful in relationship. Mm. And, and often men have prioritized that because that's how I'm going to provide for my family. That's how I'm going to receive acknowledgement, accolades, money, wealth, all of these things yet those skill sets don't translate to relationship. And actually I've been operating my whole life stressed. Mm. This fear of not being good enough, but if I make enough cash, then I'm good enough. Yes, okay. If I become the CEO, then I'm good enough. If I start the successful business, then I'm good enough. Yeah, but it's all operating under the belief of lack and not enoughness. Yeah, and then that's what shows up in our relationship because when our partner's disappointed and it gets what, <laughs> that's what comes up in us. It's like, oh, I'm not good enough. Mm. Yep. So, so there's nowhere to hide in our intimate relationships because it's so close to home, right? All the unmet needs we have from our parents, what we're talking about before, all that love and affection we didn't receive that we wanted, that we craved, even if we're not aware of it, we bring that to our intimate relationship and, and project that onto our partners a lot of the time. Yes. I'm choosing which avenue to go down there. Yeah, so I just dropped a lot of bombs. What I, no, that's great. And, <laughs> and I think the way that you answered that is brilliant because what I believe, so from the beginning, recapping what that answer was from the beginning, it was not a greater enough awareness of our operating systems, like how we fundamentally operate. And that's what I'm huge on. And it's really inspiring when men actually absorb that information and then live through that lens because all of the challenges that they thought they really had to focus on and work at start to dissolve because they show up differently mm-hmm. when you understand your thoughts feelings and actions are all linked mm-hmm. when you understand why you have different perspectives to other people when you understand the the difference between curiosity and judgment and how to actually shift into that mm-hmm. so those deeper understandings and then I framed that question in a way that people could link to it you know asking is it shame is it addiction but they're all byproducts right mm. yeah like those patterns the fight flight freeze that that can show up in addiction and numbing because the the flight might be just tapping out mentally emotionally here physically I'm here physically but I'm not here mentally and present and that happens a lot for guys in relationship 
they're sitting in front of their partner talking to them and they're there, but they're not there. Mm. Yep. So it can manifest as addiction because the same lack of enoughness that can cause someone to be a high-functioning CEO can cause someone to be an addict, right? If depending on what strategies were available to them at the time when they were young and these strategies were forming and other things, but the, like as you said the word addiction a couple of times, it's the same thing. We're just addicted to work. Yes. We're just addicted to, you know, but in our society we applaud the addiction to work, mm. right? And then we judge the addiction to anything else really. So, yeah. Yeah, and sorry to interrupt there. I'm just also thinking about, you know, guys might say before we elaborate on that, but it's good to have drive. Like I need to be driven to succeed and that's why I'm so driven in business. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, okay, speak I'll let you yeah, yeah. speak to that. Yeah, yeah. All of it, there's gifts in all of it, right? So nothing is good, bad, right or wrong. There's nothing wrong with drive. But if the drive is coming from you not feeling like you're enough without whatever you're going after, that's when it's not going to serve you physically, mentally, emotionally, mm. relationally. People pleasing, right? People pleasing isn't good, bad, right. Like the skills, the emotional skills you get, I'm speaking from a, reformed people pleaser here I was incredibly good at that knowing what someone was feeling what someone needed their personality whether they were five years old or 90 years old right I just did that to my own detriment for so many years because it was coming from that fear place once I created safety in myself looked at my traumas healed my wounds looked at all of that stuff I didn't lose all those skills I developed Mm. You're not going to lose your drive. You're just going to be able to choose it and not have it pulling the puppet strings, so to speak. So, and, and I see this a lot because I have that high achiever in me too. And it's a fuel source, that not enoughness. It is responsible for the, a lot of the accomplishments. So mm. there is a fear to let it go. So and you I, can validate it. Yeah, I get that. I, of course it's scary to let it go because what if I just – if I'm just happy with the way things are, am I just going to chill? Mm. Right? So it's a genuine. Am I lowering the bar? Yeah. I don't want to feel, I don't want to be an experience mediocrity. Like mm-hmm. I want, I'm a high achiever. Mm-hmm. I want high standards. Yeah. And practical example, right? If you hadn't worked on any of this stuff, if you hadn't looked at any of this stuff and you just had a, your desire for success was fueled by these insecurities, not through values alignment, you might make different decisions. You were speaking about maybe not choosing a certain decision because it would mean traveling away from your family too much. Yeah, we were chatting about that last night. Yeah. So if your trauma and insecurities were in the driver's seat, you might have made that decision because that would have been shinier. Mm. But you know that your highest value is what I'm pretty sure you were saying your highest value is your your family and and relationship and and connection, one of your highest values. Yep. And so that you made that decision through that lens. Does that mean you don't have as much drive? Not at all. Mm. It just means you get to actually dictate how you use that drive and not have it use you, so to speak. A previous version of me many, many years ago would have uh, taken the opportunities yep. to do a lot more of that kind of work for self-validation. Yep. I actually remember many years ago when I started working with a lot of sporting teams and I used to love telling people about it and they'd be lit up about it. And then I remember when it started to shift and I was saying no to those opportunities and I even had people say to me, are you sure? Like that's a really good opportunity. Imagine what it would be like working with them and imagine mm-hmm. telling people you're working with them. And that's when I realised, oh, yeah, that's the reason why I would have done it previously. Mm-hmm. But it's, you know, understanding myself at a deeper level, understanding values, got a different vision and direction and just trusting, yep. trusting the process. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's um, 
That's exactly it. That's exactly it. And it's just, that doesn't mean you've got less drive now, right? It just means you're using your drive under your, what you've defined success to be for you. Yeah. Right. So it's, yeah, it's, but, but with all that said, I understand the resistance. Like, and, and the stuff you need to dive into when you look at this stuff is scary. Like a lot of guys are actively avoiding it because there's pain there. Oh, yeah, massive pain. Do you know pain. what I mean? So it's, we can unconsciously avoid it. And sometimes we're just straight up actively like don't want to go there, mm. don't want to go there. And I, I, I get it. I get it. I have um, so much compassion for that. And avoiding it completely only leads one way. Mm. And if the awareness is popping up, it's because you, you are ready to start to look at it in some capacity. Do you need to go to the deepest, darkest hole straight away? Probably not. But do you get to start the process? Yeah, you probably get to start the process. And bringing it back to the men, especially the conversation around fatherhood, it's like our children inherit any work we don't do. Thank you for that reminder of the work that I'm yet to do. <laughs> <laughs> and and with that is the perfect, perfect parent paradox. Like you're never going to do it all. We're never going to be – but it's like – that to me is because I have a lot of guys come to me that are dads that would never look at this stuff and they're just like, oh, wow, I'm seeing how this is impacting my kids already. And I'm like, yep. Mm. And and what we know about human behavior and, and, and psychological development, it's undeniable that how we're operating impacts them. And that is often enough of a, a wake-up call for like for guys to be like, okay, I'll do it. This is going to be painful and it's going to suck. And that can also be the reason why – guys don't want to visit it when they know that and their, their kids are older and they realise, oh, holy shit, I've actually like it's been an influence on a lot of their patterns. Yeah. And, and in the same way say, yeah, and that's okay. Yeah. So instead of either resenting or denying or running away or not le- wanting to lean into that and thinking, oh, it's all too late, it's never too late. Never too late. And and goes back to that step that we always miss, awareness. So that person that you're using in that example has the awareness. Mm. Okay, and there's no compassion, there's no acceptance, there's no fair enough. Everyone's doing the best they can with what they have available. And when I say what they have available, I mean the level of consciousness, the tools, everyone's doing the best they can. Nobody's actively being a jerk. Even though it can very much look like that sometimes, it's when we understand the nervous system, we, we understand that that's what's, that's what's happening, right? So you did the best you could with what you had available at the time based on what was passed down to you and guess what your parents did the best they could too Mm. yeah because often the desire to be the perfect parent can come from a judgment of how our parents were potentially and it's like that's an ego trip as well like i'm gonna mess up my kids i won't think i will i'm gonna try my hardest not to but they're gonna need a therapist in 20 do you know what i mean it's like because how they'll want to live will be different than how i'm choosing like so we're not gonna um but we can create more safety. Do you know what I mean? We can create more safety. And that starts with creating safety. And and this is the, yeah, speaking to that man where maybe the kids have left the nest, it's like your peace is still worth it, right? We don't stop parenting. Like, mm. you know, my relationship with my father is just as important now. Do you know what I mean? I'm 34. It so it requires a different yeah. level of input. The yeah. love, the connection, everything is still there. Yeah. And That's just, important. yeah, having that compassion. Because if we go to work 
on ourselves from judgment, Mm. we're not going to get that far. We might think we will. We might have a little breakthrough because we have some awareness and learn some new tools, but you'll cycle and I've seen it. I've been Mm. around this work long enough now. That's when people cycle. It's because they started it through judgment. Maybe there was something that went down in their relationship that they weren't proud of. So they're like, oh, shit, I better get to work on this. But unless we come to it through compassion, which, again, easier said than done, but it has to be done, Mm. then we're just going to keep cycling because we're still living under the umbrella of not enoughness, right, which was that formative belief that fueled it all in the first place. It's a kind of like a never-ending cycle too and I think an important message that's come through here is that even all the work that you've done individually – and in your coaching and you guys as a couple, there's still challenges that present themselves. Mm-hmm. And that's what I love about learning um, through wisdom is that it, it's, there's never a perfection point. There's never an end point. And I look at that not as in, oh, my God, it's a huge journey ahead. It's like, oh, cool. So yeah. I'm, I'm where, I, where I am right now is exactly where I need to be because I'll never be there and there's no end to it. There's nowhere to get. <laughs> there's yeah. nowhere to get. Yeah, yeah, very much so. There is somewhere to get now where we have to uh, tie a bow in this and and wrap it up. This won't be your last time on the show. Mm. Before we wrap up, is there anything that you feel like that you want to leave the listeners with that is kind of like an important thing or a commonality that you want to leave the listeners with? Yeah, I think that um, we talk about radical responsibility a lot, but the thing that was kind of coming through in that last train of thought that we had is like radical compassion. Mm. Yeah for ourselves, for our partner, what would it look like if we just, as much as we take responsibility, because even that for guys can be like, that's a challenge to overcome. Okay, I'll take responsibility. But can you bring radical compassion to yourself and and use your the beautiful gift of children if you have them as the model? Because how easily, and you might be angry at them, but how much sw- more swiftly do you come to compassion for your child when they make a mistake, mm. when they fuck up, when they do something they're not supposed to do, mm. quote unquote, right? And use that in your system because you can feel that. I'm sure just thinking about that now, thinking about your child, you can access that compassion, that love. Give yourself a little bit of that. Yeah, beautiful. Give your partner a little bit of that because guess what? Once upon a time, you were that. Mm. Yeah, and maybe... You didn't receive what you need, what we've just spoken about. But until we can give that to ourselves, rem- it's more of a, like a remembering, give that grace to our partner, that compassion to our partner. That is from there, then we can get to work and work on crystal clear communicate and all the tools, et cetera. But it's like that to me is like the gateway to, yeah, so much more. Beautiful. Love it. Where can we find you online? Where's the best place for people to connect with you, follow your journey, absorb your wisdom and start this journey of um, personal or relation, relationship development? Yeah, well, firstly, thanks for having me, man. Really enjoyed this, this conversation. Um, TullyOConnor.com is my website, at TullyOConnor on Instagram. And for relationship-specific stuff, I'm over at liberating underscore love on Instagram. So there's heaps of content there and free trainings and I've got a podcast called Thriving in Fatherhood as well, which is, um, yeah, lots of conversations, not, not dissimilar to this one. So there's, there's about 40 odd conversations over there that you can go and listen to as well. Tully, you're a legend. I want to acknowledge you for your genuine authenticity and your commitment 
and maybe a bit of drive to utilize yourself as a conduit of information and resources and this support and this network through the work that you do. It's super inspiring and it's honestly life changing and probably life saving at times. Keep shining your abundant light to the world, my man. Mm, Thanks, man. Received. And um, yeah, mirror the same back to you. Appreciate it. Appreciate you. Boom. There you go. Another empowering episode. And thanks again for tuning in. Make sure you check out the show notes for any extra links or information that we spoke about in this episode. Don't forget you can now catch the Unbeatable You podcast on the YouTube channel, Brett Robbo Coach. If you want info and inspiration straight into your inbox on how to live an unbeatable life, you can sign up to receive weekly insights and actionable steps for optimal performance and thriving in every aspect of your life, plus first release offers on Unbeatable You courses and live events. Don't worry. There's no spam, just short, punchy, value-giving emails straight to you. Simply go to brettrobbo.com forward slash community. If you find value in this podcast, don't forget to share it around with your mates and subscribe, rate, and review. It really supports the podcast mission massively. If you want to reach out to me personally, you can connect with me at at brettrobbocoach on social media, and that's where you can let me know who you want to hear on the show. Keep thriving, legends, and as always, remember, if not you, then who? If not now, then when? This is your opportunity to live your unbeatable life.